Today's reading is from James, it's uh, the whole of chapter 2, which is found on page 1213 of the Church Bibles. And it starts, Favoritism Forbidden. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there, or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, My dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favouritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, You shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Faith and deeds. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that, and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, and not by faith alone. In the same way, 
Was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. This is the word of the Lord. It's quite a chapter, isn't it? I'm now going to ask Robin to come and preach it. <laughs> no pressure then, Robin. Shall we just pray for Robin as he brings God's word to us? Father, thank you for Robin. Thank you that, um, Lord, he's able to preach with us this morning, preach to us. Lord, may we hear your voice speaking, this remarkable piece of scripture in which you tell us how to live. Lord, let our hearts be open to what you want to say and do in our lives. Amen. Amen. Ah, there you are. That's fine. I don't usually use these things, but there we are. Thank you for the privilege of preaching. This, I believe, is a spiritual health warning in James chapter 2. We had James chapter 1 two weeks ago, and it's a shame, really, that we haven't been able to put all five sermons in one go. You'd have to sit here for four hours, but uh, uh, at least you get it all together. It is a health warning about our spiritual life. And I believe that as Peter just three weeks ago suggested that to us in the Christian life, it's an adventure. That struck me, and I think that's absolutely right. And this is part of the adventure that we're going to look at this morning because there are risks attached to it as there is in any adventure. Two weeks ago, when Peter opened this series in James, uh, he talked on, under the subject of face it. And today, the subject is not quite that, it's live it. And that really is what the Christian faith is all about. Just a minute, why is it there's this lot here and that lot there? There's more there than here. Is there a difference between you all? <laughs> well, I don't know what it is. I'll try and give you the same time as this lot here. Okay, right. Well now, we're going to talk this morning about priorities in our commitment to the Lord Jesus. I think this series in James will be a fresh intake on our discipleship, how to be faithful and to be more fruitful in our witness of everyday life. I believe this is summed up probably best in the words from James. And it says, he said this, What good is it, my brethren, if a man or a woman claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? And then he says, continuing this, Faith by itself... If it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. Now that's quite a saying, isn't it? Is our faith dead? That doesn't mean to say we've lost our salvation. It is saying the breath of life which we should be bringing to others has actually been deadened by the fact that we're not bringing it to others. It's by the action that we actually find our faith at work. And this morning, therefore, I want to just talk about being active for Christ. 
just a little while ago, I met somebody who I said, are you interested in sport? And he said to me, yes, I'm a cricketer. Oh, I said, who do you play for? Oh, he said, I don't play for anybody. I just go and watch. Now, that may sound strange that he would call himself a cricketer because he watches it. The sad thing is that we could say, well, I'm a Christian because I come to church. But I don't actually do anything about it. I'm not active. Now, I'm not here, please, being accusative by any means. That's not my role. But the scripture will touch us, I'm sure, about that. I was speaking to someone after the first service, and he said, boy, have you hit me this morning with a hammer. And I said, I haven't. The scripture might well have done. And he's gone out, I think, more anxious to do more about his, uh, his faith. I had to examine my own faith when I prepared this this morning. I was born in a family where my parents were not Christians, not by any means, except that they thought they were doing a good turn to us all by sending us to church. Well, I didn't mind that because once I got to the age of seven, I became a choir boy and I got two and six a a service. And then when I reached the height that I, well, not quite this, but I was 11, they said, would you like to ring the tenor bell? I got five shillings a Sunday for doing that. And my mate who lived opposite me, whose father was the local news agent, he got three shillings a week for delivering papers. I got seven shillings and sixpence a week for going to church. Now, what an invitation. Well, now, I have to say this. My parents not being Christians didn't go through the rituals. Although we went to church, my two older sisters... Uh, they were, well, one was seven years older than me, but never tell her that, please. She thinks she's my twin. Uh, uh, The vicar said to her, it's about time you got confirmed. And she didn't know what confirmation was anyway. And it was discovered that she, like my other sister and me, had never been baptized. So to get things right, Cherry was baptized at the age of 13, Wendy was baptized at the age of eight, and I was baptized at the age of six, and I remember it well. The problem was when the vicar, I suppose, trying to make a joke, thought he'd like to take me in his arms and baptize me, but he failed to pick me up. Anyway, (laughs) only about five weeks after that, Cherry was confirmed, and then Wendy was confirmed, and later on I was confirmed. So we went through that pattern but I have to say to you honestly with godparents who were Jewish and lovely lovely people but never spoke to me about Jesus I was actually converted having been chucked out of Sunday school but that's another story altogether (laughs) I'd like to tell you one day why I was because it was very clever but this isn't the day I was chucked out of Sunday school and started going to crusaders And at Crusaders, I met men there and older boys who really knew the Lord Jesus. And that struck me. The leader said, Robin, what about going to camp? Oh, I said, that'd be great fun. So off I went to camp um, in in Dorset. And at camp, I met with a man who was a missionary on furlough who spoke to us every day. And he was so lively 
And the word of God was so life-giving that I committed my life to Christ in my early teens at a crusader camp. Wonderfully, and I put this in brackets, my sister Cherry happened to be in Devon at the time she was staying at Dartmoor Prison. <laughs> that may sound a bit strange, but her good friend was the padre or the chaplain at Dartmoor Prison. Now, Dartmoor also is not far away in the West Country, so she popped into the camp where I was the very next day after I'd been converted. And I can tell you, we had a good old hug. It was really great. Why am I saying that? Because I do believe that we as Christian folk somehow let that day or that week or whenever it was we committed our life to Christ to become a blur instead of a day of excitement, which I think we should cherish all the way through life. Remember that day when we were converted. Some say, well, I've always been a Christian, but I don't think that's possible. We can be Christians at a very young age, I agree that. But I do believe once we got that excitement and it continues in our life, we've got something to talk about. That's what today's reading is all about. So I say we should examine our faith and allow that examination to spur us into work. The evidence of our faith is not just about coming to church. Forgive me, this is a police uh, illustration But when I joined the police force at the age of 19, we had 13 weeks of very, very hard training, as you can imagine. A lot to learn by rote. We had to write it word for word. And also put into action in the yard scenes that were enacted for us by the instructors. Well, when I was posted out to division, obviously I had to try and remember what I was taught and then go and do something. You've probably never heard this phrase, uniform carriers, but I'm sad to say in my day, probably not now, there were uniform carriers who did everything they could to stop working. They'd hide around the corner. I was so excited. I just loved policing. I looked for work to do. I wasn't arresting people every day, only once or twice a week perhaps. But to me, there was work to be done. And it was all because I had learnt it at the, back at the training school. Now, can you see the similarity? We come to church, and part of our church is learning about the Christian faith. And it's about commitment as we learn the scriptures and as we rehearse those scriptures. But from here, we've got to go out and do something about it. Faith without works is dead. That's exactly what James is saying there. So we need to have evidence of our faith. I saw this quotation the other day. We mark our Bibles... But do our Bibles mark us? That's quite a phrase, isn't it? How many of you mark your Bible? Well, four, five. (laughs) I've got marks all over my Bible. I have to try and find what's real in there. But seriously, marking our Bibles is one thing, but does it make a mark on us? Make us what we ought to be as Christian folk living for Christ. This is the real thing. I recently read of a lady who, like my wife has done, sponsored a young child in actually in Zimbabwe, before it was Zimbabwe. And this lady, after some years, thought she'd like to meet this young lad. 
She first heard about him when he was merely five, but now he's 15. Can I come and see you? And the letter came back, yes, please do. And off she went, and amongst other things, she met this young lad who's now 15, and guess where she took him for lunch? To McDonald's. Now everybody goes to McDonald's, (laughs) even in the middle of, of Zimbabwe. Well, he chose a nice fat burger for his lunch, and she had just a little bit of lettuce on her plate because she didn't want much to eat. And this young lad, incredibly, cut the burger in half and gave the half to her because he said, you must be hungry, (laughs) because she only got the lettuce leaf. But I thought, how superb. We are people like that young lad. People have prayed for us. People have supported us. And we've got other people who are hungry for the word of God, and they don't know it. Hungry for something better in life than they know already. And like that young lad who cut his burger in half, which was a bit of a sacrifice for a hungry young lad, we've got people who are hungry for something probably they don't know what. And I believe we have the answer. The evidence of our faith is what the Bible has done for us as we've read it. So we should, as James said, extend our faith. I don't believe he ever says that we're not Christians because our faith is dead. He simply says the faith is dead. Come on, it can come to life by being active. Keep your spiritual fervor, said Paul in Romans, serving the Lord. That's the first thing. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord being joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And prayer is important. We're going to come back to that in a moment. So that's where we are. Keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. And time and again, in Paul's letters, it talks about service. Now, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have everlasting life. And God loves the world through us. Nobody is going to know about that unless we are the people that tell them about the Lord Jesus. What matters, I believe, is not faith and works or faith or works. It's faith that works. Do you see the difference? Faith that works. The two things go together. And to express our faith, I don't think we have to advertise it by wearing a badge or attending church activities. These are things which we do, but they don't actually help other people. I believe we show our faith by living it. Some while ago, I was, obviously it was a long while ago, I was a young police constable. And with 367 on my shoulders... I went to St. John's Wood Police Station by Lord's Cricket Ground, which was lovely because I I wasn't a cricketer. (laughs) I used to love watching cricket. I got the nickname Holy Holy Joe, but not more than that. It was Holy Oak. Well, the Prime Minister of New Zealand was Holy Oak at the time, but 367 before me, when he'd gone, he was an ardent Roman Catholic. And so Robin comes along, oh boy, not another religious guy. So I got his nickname as well as the Prime Ministers of New Zealand. Incredibly, one man there, Ray Smith, gave me a really rough time. 
everything he could do to undermine my faith, he would do it. And I was very glad after three and a half years to be taken from that station to go and work in Scotland Yard. At a reunion two years ago, organised by one of my former colleagues, we met up in a hotel just by Lord's Cricket Ground. And a little man, not like me, he sort of waddled up to me, but I waddled, but he was short and fat. And he put his hand out and he said to me, Robin, I want to apologise. I gave you a stick when you first came to the police station. Soon after you left, I became a Christian. I'm just back from the mission field. And I want to thank you for what you did, regardless of what I said to you in the police station. Now, I didn't know I'd had any effect on him, whatever. And it was pertinent, the fact that when I left, he became a Christian, which was rather good. But you see, it happens. Sometimes we witness, not necessarily by speaking of our faith, but by acting it out. I think our faith needs its expression, and it's not always from our mouths. I, there are one or two from our small group here this morning, and I mentioned this the other day. I have in my prayer diary a list of countries where there's little Christian witness. Now, I've only got 26 countries there. There are probably many, many more than that. But the first line, and I prayed it this morning, it's Sunday, are the countries where there's little Christian witness. Russia, now you wouldn't be surprised at that. European Union, and that's more countries than I include, but I just can't put them together. And I've got two more. The UK and the Isle of Man. Now, why do you say, Robin, that there's little Christian witness in the UK and the Isle of Man? Because it's true. We're here this morning, and I guess you could say thousands in churches like All Souls Langham Place and Holy Trinity Brompton and so on. They filled churches, but in fact, they're only minutiae of the people. How many people passed you this morning when you came to church? The A5 is buzzing and buzzing with people who've got no clue about what Jesus has done for them. We, sadly, in this country, once called a Christian country because of its Christian laws, no longer that, we're a multi-faith country, but Christianity seems to have been compressed and depressed so that we're not at the forefront and are witnessing, we're afraid, it seems to me, of hurting people or of the papers getting hold of it and saying, well, we're, we're dealing with this discrimination, which is what this chapter's about. No discrimination at all in Christian faith. It's giving people the privilege of knowing the Lord Jesus. I read this in a book by Krish Kedaya. One of the litmus tests of the authenticity of our profession of faith is the practice of our faith through compassionate service to the poor and vulnerable. I'll read that again. One of the litmus tests of the authenticity of our profession of faith is the practice of our faith through compassionate service to the poor and the vulnerable. Now, you may not, and I may not know, many people who are 
actually vulnerable. But you listen to these statistics. I only read them this week. 17% of elderly people, only 17% are in contact with their family. 51% of people over 75 years live alone and are lonely. 48% of elderly say that the TV is their main company. 63% of people are widowed or marginalised. 51% of married people are separated, divorced or shunned by the family. 59% are in poor health and 59% are of other religions. So it's over half now of other religions. And 70% cry out for help with transport, shopping and being taken to the hospital or the doctor. Now they're awful statistics, but we actually surely have the answer to help in that. I wonder in this last week, how many we have spoken to about the Lord Jesus or done something about our faith which has prompted us to visit the lonely, to take somebody out shopping, just to be with them and have a, a cup of tea or whatever. These are evidences of our faith in the Lord Jesus. Remember, keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. And Paul again, anyone in Christ is given the ministry of reconciliation because we are Christ's ambassadors, making his appeal through us. We are the instruments of his ministry. God loves the world through us. And I believe his love should be our love for others. And then I did say I'd mention this again. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful that God may open the door for the message. Now, I don't know how many of you start the day with prayer and Bible reading, but in our house we do, and it makes such a difference. It would be an awful day, I think, if we didn't get up early and pray and read scriptures. We love to do it. And some people do that at other times of the day. I accept that. But prayer is the essential thing. And it is amazing the times when Chris or I will pray for an opportunity today and the phone will ring. Can you please take Mr. and Mrs. So-and-so out because they can't get out there due to an operation or something like that. Chris took somebody the other day from the new place in, in Bicton called The Coppice. A lot of lonely people in there. And she said, you are the first person to whom I have spoken outside of the coppice. Thank you for coming. And all she wanted was a lift to go round to the doctors to register. So that in case she ever needed it, he would be there. She's now started coming to church with us, which is absolutely wonderful. I wonder how many people we are actually encouraging, or worse, sorry, people who we ought to be contacting, but we're not for one reason or another. Do everything, said Paul, 
through him, the Lord Jesus, who gives the strength for us to be his witnesses. May our God meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. And I know it's not easy. And we're a bit embarrassed sometimes to speak of our faith. But surely the strength is there when we witness. I was speaking the other day, and I'm just about to finish, to uh, an exclusive brethren school. Why Robin Oak ever gets invited to these places, I don't know, but I go quite regularly to exclusive brethren schools. But I said to one man there a week or so ago, I have seen you standing on the street corner at the top of Pride Hill, uh, presumably handing out leaflets. Oh, yes, he said. I said, well, how many people have you led to Christ from there? And he looked at me as if I was an idiot. He said, well, I'm not there for that. I'm there because I'm told that by being there, I am a witness. Well, what's the point of being a witness if you can't open your mouth? What's the point of being there if you've never actually led anybody to Christ? I said, how many people have you ever spoken to there? He said, oh, people shun me. Although the other day, some young lady came and took a photograph of me, and that's the only contact I've ever had standing on a street corner. So that perhaps isn't the answer. And if you've ever been to uh, Hyde Park Corner, where Speaker's Corner is, and I used to have to police that as an inspector, um, Right, there was lots of lots of other people speaking, but one or two each week would stand up and share their faith, and not just speak from a platform. Come down and talk to the people to whom they've been speaking. I'm not expecting that we should be doing that in the middle of Shrewsbury. What I am saying is that we've got neighbours, we have friends, we have relatives, and the day may come when we will say, "I never told them." I've mentioned this before, and I I want to do it again. I had this dreadful dream. I I died. I was trying to get into heaven, but there were so many people preventing me from getting in there, all shouting at me, you never told me, you never told me, you never told me. And it so frightened me, I woke up. It woke Chris up. She said, what on earth's going on? Because I was sweating like mad, and I told her this dream. And whether that was God speaking or not, whatever it was, it said to me, Robin, you missed the opportunities. How many times have you not spoken about me, about the Lord Jesus? So let's pray for one another that we may be better witnesses as this lovely chapter, giving us this health warning of our spiritual health. Pray for opportunities. Pray to be aware of other people's needs. Pray for courage to overrule our shyness or our reticence to help others. Pray for his ability to help our inability, that we may share our faith with Christ. We need to, somebody once said, walk the talk. And that's what it's all about, is it not? There's a work for Jesus ready at your hand. There's a work the master just for you and for me, has planned. Everyone should use whatever gift he or she has been given to serve others and with the strength that God supplies.
And I'm going to ask if we could pray this prayer with me. It's a hymn which I'd love to have sung this morning, but it's, we haven't got hymn books, have we? So I'm going to read it to you as a prayer. So let's pray. O breath of life, come sweeping through us. Revive your church with life and power. O breath of life, come, cleanse, renew us, and fit your church to meet this hour. Wind of God, come, bend us and break us, till humbly we confess our need. Then, in tenderness, remake us, restore and revive, for this we plead. O breath of love, come, breathe within us, renewing thought and will and heart. Come, love of Christ, afresh to win us and to revive your church in every part. So, Lord, revive us. Is zeal abating while harvest fields are vast and white? Revive us, Lord. The world is waiting. Equip your church to spread the light. Amen.